So we're continuing our study on the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to dive into one of the more misunderstood topics about the Holy Spirit. And that is just what we sang. The filling of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? And let me just go ahead and put this out there. Um, that there is a lot of disagreement on this topic. If you are not aware of that already. People disagree about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of varying opinions about the person of the Holy Spirit, what he's up to, how he operates in the world today, specifically in the church today. We're going to talk about that in this room today. We're going to talk about a little bit of the different opinions on that, but primarily we're going to focus just on what the Scripture teaches and our understanding of it. Let me just say this. Of the many churches in our town... You would find a different understanding. I'm not just, I, don't, I don't just mean different denominations. You go to a different Baptist church down the road, and they would have a different understanding of this doctrine and this teaching as well. And I, I just want to say, I for one am grateful that we live under a big umbrella. And it's okay for us to have a different understanding with other people where we can still link arms together for gospel causes, even if we understand this differently. Aren't you grateful for that? We don't all have to think the same or understand the same, but we are striving for clarity on some of these very, very important Issues At the same time, it's important for us as a body to have understanding of the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He does amongst us. Nothing more important for us to know today than what the Holy Spirit is up to in the year 2023 in Douglasville, Georgia. So although we are talking primarily about the filling of the Holy Spirit um, today, we're going to start by talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? How is that different than the, and is it different than the filling of the Holy Spirit? And so let, let's, let's start with this. Just an understanding here that baptism in the Holy Spirit is a one time event based on my understanding of Scripture. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one time event. According to the Apostle Paul, each one of us is baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ at the moment we trust in Jesus alone for our salvation. Okay, this is what the Spirit is. There's different ways of stating the same thing. I became a Christian. I was born again. I was baptized by the Holy Spirit. What is he baptizing us into? He is baptizing us, baptizing us into the body of Christ into the church at the moment of salvation. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I believe, takes place at salvation. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event that changes our nature and simultaneously changes the direction of our life by securing our eternal destiny in the heaven place to come. Um, it, it's at this moment that we become a part of the body of Christ. And it may not be that we become a part of a local church at that moment, but we become a part of the big C church, the corporate church. What God is doing around the globe and has been doing for decades and centuries. The body of Christ worldwide through all ages since Pentecost. And so let me just demonstrate this for us if I can.
I'm a visual person. And so maybe this will help us a little bit. This is you. You are a glass bowl. This is the Holy Spirit. He is a larger glass bowl. Now, at salvation, you are baptized into him. Okay, you're inside him. And the Bible furthermore says that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is, this is the picture of your life in Christ Jesus. You are in him. When the Father looks at you, what does he see? He sees you, but he sees you through the Holy Spirit, through the work of Jesus upon the cross. Uh, Jesus talks about this. You are in Christ. Paul talks about this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is a picture of our life situated in Christ. This is what happens at salvation. And that's what Jesus talks about when he says that we believe as a people that you cannot lose this salvation. Why? But you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Right? And the seal that he puts on your life cannot be broken. Not even by you. Right? And so what, what, the way we sort of look at this and phrase this is that there is no sin big enough, strong enough, hairy enough, ugly enough that the cross is not bigger than. The cross of Jesus breaks every curse that you could put on your life. Even, now let, let, let's just say, there are people that you may know, there are people that you may know that once upon a time were baptized into the Holy Spirit, baptized by the Holy Spirit into the church. Right? They became a follower of Jesus. They were sealed by the Holy Spirit. But you know people and I know people that used to believe this that have said, no, I don't believe that anymore. Or maybe something happened and they're angry at God. Or maybe they got hurt by something and they don't, they don't want to be a Christian anymore. Like, I don't even believe in God anymore. I'm an atheist. What about that person? Still sealed by the Holy Spirit. You with me? And the statement that we've grown up hearing, many of us, is once, what, do you know it? Once saved, always saved. I want to give you a better statement. Once saved, always saved, if ever truly saved. This is different. Watch me. This is different because there's so many people I'm afraid have fallen for what many call cheap grace. We walk an aisle, we sign a card, we pray a prayer, and it's like an abracadabra, you get a free ticket to heaven. And there's never been any life change, but if there's no life change, there's no destiny change. You with me? Right? Jesus, it, it, he has to change us. It's his nature. He's a change agent. And so once saved, always saved, if ever really saved, if truly saved. Right? That should be an encouragement for many of us who have prodigals in our lives that we are praying for. Right? But it doesn't mean that after salvation, we can walk out the door and just live however we want. Right? And the Bible talks about this clearly. It says, look, most people who leave from us, they really weren't of us. They were really not bad. They, they, they fell for a cheap trick or they wanted assurance, but they never, they, they, they never trusted in Jesus alone for salvation. 
And so we have to be, we have to be careful. We don't want to make promises to people and con them into believing that they have their eternity taken care of if God has never actually changed their life, if they've never changed them. What a terrible mistake we could make. Once saved, always saved, if ever truly saved. And so even if you commit the sin of cursing God and trying to walk away from the faith, the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 you're mine. Right? You can go walk as far as you want, but you're still mine. And the Father looks at you, he still looks at you through the cross. You with me? Baptism in the Holy Spirit. You're in the Holy Spirit. You have been baptized into the body of Christ, even if you decided to walk away. Where do we see this? Ephesians chapter 4. So go ahead and turn to Ephesians, um, because we're, we're going to spend some time in Ephesians. But look, let me just warn you ahead of time. Uh, there's a whole lot of content and a lot of scripture today, and I would not ask you to turn to all of these um, because we'd spend two hours just waiting on everybody to catch up. And so I'm going to give you a reference. I'm going to read it, and I would encourage you to write it down. Go look these up in your own copy of God's Word later. But Ephesians is one that we'll be hanging out in a little bit today. So, when you, when, when you read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, here's what Paul says. There is one body and one spirit, capital S. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. And just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. One baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He explains it to the Corinthian church this way. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, the body of Christ, baptized by the Holy Spirit, body of Christ, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now, with this said, I, I just want to mark your card on this because some of you who are students of the Bible, let's just be real, you're always looking for the exception. Always looking for the weird thing in Scripture. You're the ones who like to email and be like, what, what about this or what about this? And I applaud you, okay? There are cases in the New Testament where salvation takes place, but the Holy Spirit doesn't fill people yet. Right? And, 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 but if you think about uh, Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4, Right? The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. 120 believers were, uh, experienced the baptism and filling of the Holy Spirit simultaneously. And what happened at Pentecost, they were accompanied with tongues as of fire. They were speaking in tongues at Pentecost. 120 believers, tongues of fire. They spoke in other languages. All of this happened at Pentecost. And this is when the Holy Spirit first came to indwell people that he would not leave saved people. This happened at Pentecost. It is the birth of the church. And so really, Pentecost should be a day that we celebrate and we thank God for. Everything changed at Pentecost. But, and this is not a message. We're going to get into spiritual gifts uh, next week, I believe, about how at salvation everybody is supposed to speak in tongues. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's what the New Testament teaches. I don't believe the New Testament demonstrated that all 3,000 people that got saved at Pentecost began to all of a sudden speak at tongues. The 120 it happened to because the Lord was using them to reach the 3,000. Okay, and, and then what happens after this is important. After Pentecost, do you, you remember the great commission that Jesus gave to his followers? Remember what he said? 
Where, where, where do I want you to go? Yeah, but, where, but in what order? And you're supposed, to, you're supposed to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's now come. So then what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go to Judea, Samaria, in the ends of the earth. And by the way, it worked. Because for people in Jerusalem, do you know what Douglasville, Georgia is? Ends of the earth. No joking. Right? It, it, it worked. Right? The plan of God worked or you and I wouldn't be sitting here worshiping him today. It, it, it worked. But I, immediately after Pentecost, just to look at this, it's so beautiful. The gospel begins to travel outside of Jerusalem. And it begins to go into Judea and Samaria, which is the Great Commission. Acts 8.16 explains that although there were believers and had been baptized, there, were, there was this group outside of Jerusalem. They were believers that accepted the word, had not yet been baptized by the Holy Spirit. They'd not received the Holy Spirit yet. And so what God does is God sends who? But Peter and John to these characters outside of Jerusalem who happened to be in, does anybody know? Samaria. Now, if you know about the New Testament and you know about the cultures in the New Testament, two of the cultures that clashed the greatest were the Jews and who? Samaritans. And now we have people who have accepted Jesus, believed in him, faith alone, in Jesus alone for salvation. And who does God send out to see these people? Peter and John, the two most influential apostles. And the Bible says that they go out, they see these people, and they pray for them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And I believe the reason for that is formerly these people have been despised and rejected. And the message that God is making as the gospel goes out from Jerusalem is that the gospel is for everybody. The good news is for everybody. And he's showing this to the A-team here in Jerusalem. He's showing this to Peter and John so they can share it with others. That the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for your neighbors that you don't like. Your God, the gospel is for those who live down the street for you and you, you don't like the way they act. The gospel is for the guy that works with you. You don't like the way he talks. He's disrespectful. What he's saying is the gospel is good for everyone no matter what their background is. It's very important. But the normal pattern is... We get the Holy Spirit at salvation. That began to happen at Pentecost. That has been the pattern ever since. So today, we saw it in John chapter 3 a couple weeks ago. We see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We see it in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. That's baptism. One event, one-time event at your salvation. Being baptized into the body of Christ. And listen to me, believer. You have no part in that except for to trust in Christ alone. You cannot work your way into this. There's no amount of good deeds that a person can do that would make them in Christ, that would make them baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is Christ alone. This is the work of God, not us. I've got nothing to brag about. Paul talks about this. 
And we didn't do anything. There's no works involved in this. Or if there was, we'd just boast about it. We'd brag about it. It's what he does because only God can change the nature of a man or a woman. We can't muster up enough faith to do that ourselves. This is God working on a person, working in a person to change a person. So if you think about the picture that we saw just a little bit ago of baptism, uh, 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 the person being baptized, they are at the mercy of the one baptizing. Right? You, you, Wally put her under the water. All right, last week when I had the opportunity to baptize a couple of young men, sort of at my mercy, they put themselves in a position of sort of surrender. Like you're going down, your back's going down. You you got no way to fight. In reality, I can hold you down as long as I want. And some maybe we have held down a little longer just to make sure it took. Just kidding. We'll never do that. But that's a picture of the surrender. It's a picture, it's what I tell, it's what I tell kids and and teenagers and, and, and adults, when we baptize, if they're nervous. Some people get nervous being up in front of all these people. Maybe you'd be one of them. Say, look, you don't need to be nervous. I'm the one that has to do all the work. That's, it's true. The one baptizing does the effort. The one being baptized just always says, just bend your knees and surrender. We'll take care of the rest. And that's a picture of what the Holy Spirit does to a person. All you do is surrender and allow him to baptize. That's what we do at salvation. We're just, we're just waving a white flag. I'm done. You've won my heart and my life. So, baptized in the Holy Spirit. The small bowl inside the big bowl is who? Who's this? That's you, that's you, okay? Now, but we're not talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit today. What are we talking about? The filling of the Holy Spirit. So let me, let's demonstrate that in this way. Your life... It'd be a miracle if we make it through today with that water growing everywhere. There's nothing magical about it being blue. That's just so that you could see it's actually there. This is you in Christ. And this is the Holy Spirit inside of you. This is the filling of the Holy Spirit. I just want to read you some scripture, and then we'll talk about it a little bit together. Exodus 31.3 says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. Micah 3.8, but as for me, I am filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, Israel his sin. We've already looked at these two passages in our series. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Acts 11.24, the Bible says there was a good man, full of of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Luke 1, 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke 1, 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, 
full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Specifically in the New Testament. When people are filled with the Holy Spirit, most often what you read is action follows the filling of the Holy Spirit. And if you notice, the number one action that we see is what? Is declaring with boldness. So one could say the greatest demonstration and testimony of being filled with the Spirit of God is that we can't help talking about Jesus. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Guess what? People are going to know about that because you're going to talk about Jesus. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't help yourself but to talk about Jesus. The Holy Spirit, who is God, one of his primary roles that we read in the Bible is to shine a light on Jesus. He focuses on the work of Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, and when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you just can't help but speak about Jesus. That's what the Spirit does because it's his desire. And if he was filling you, you are filled with his desire. And his desire to talk about Jesus, to focus on Jesus. Acts chapter 6, verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and of Philip and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, Acts 75. X755. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This is the story of Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, declaring about Jesus. Acts 13.9, but Saul, who was also Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Ephesians 5.18, we read this. This is the famous one. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. But on its face, this is a strange verse. Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because these two things are not, this, are not the same. and actually, They're not even actually natural opposites. Like I can think of a lot of things. Like I would probably, if I was writing the Bible, and I'm glad, and we're all glad that I wasn't in charge of writing the Bible... But I, I might have said, Lord, wouldn't it make more sense to say, um, don't be full of yourself, but be full of the Holy Spirit? Or, or don't be full of this, but be full of the Holy Spirit? But for some reason, he has Paul, the Holy Spirit instructs Paul to write, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But rather than that, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means we are absolutely saturated and allow ourselves to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, similar to a person who is surrendering in baptism. It's a continual picture of surrendering in baptized. We're, we're, we're under his control. Paul contrasts that with being drunk. Have you ever seen a drunk person? Don't point. If you haven't, 
Next weekend is July 4th. Go to the lake. You'll see plenty. It's true. Don't be drunk with alcohol, he says. Don't be filled to the brim with excess when it comes to alcohol. That, that's debauchery. But rather than that, be filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit. Don't be filled up with alcohol so much that it takes over and controls you, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit because we would much rather see you be taken over and controlled by God's Spirit than we would be by the spirits that you like to drink. We've all seen it. Many of us have experienced it. A drunk person, somebody who's inebriated, seems like they have a little choice in what comes out of their mouth. Am I, am I right? A person that is drunk acts as if they have little choice in what they say or do. Why? Because in reality, they have little choice in what they say or do. They have given themselves over to being controlled by something else. When, when you're drunk, how you react is controlled by alcohol. When you are drunk, what you feel, how you feel, how you respond is influenced and controlled by alcohol. It's not a message against alcohol. It is a message against being drunk on this and instead be filled with this. Believer, being filled with the Holy Spirit should just like alcohol affects every part of a drunk person's life, being filled with the Holy Spirit should affect everything. Should control how we talk. Should control how we move and act in this world. That's the comparison. Don't be controlled by this, but be controlled by Him. Let Him dictate the words that come from your mouth. Let him dictate the manners in which you treat people and interact with people. Paul says, don't be filled with this, but rather be, be, be influenced and filled by him, with the Holy Spirit. All right Now, we're going to have a grammar lesson here because there's a word that's very, very important in the Greek that's on the screen in front of you. And the word is pleirauste, pleirauste. Um, and that comes from another word, play-ra-o. Play-ra-o and play-ra-uste is the derivative that we have here of being filled that Paul talks about. And here's the grammar lesson. And if you're a grammar teacher, you can come correct me later if I get some of this wrong. Um, here's what I learned when I went to seminary. If you were very good at English grammar, Greek would be much easier for you. Guess who was not very good at English grammar? This guy. And so biblical languages have been a struggle for me, but I, I love the Greek language. So here's the, great, here's the grammar lesson. This word, pleirauste, is a, a verb. It's an action word. It describes the state or being or the production of a result. Right? There's an action here. The tense of this word, it, 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 it's the present tense. So the verb tense where the writer portrays an action it is in the present. It's in the process or the state of happening. Uh, there's not um, an assumption or an assessment of completion here. It's present and happening now. Remember, we're talking about be filled with the Holy Spirit. The voice here, 
is the passive voice. Largely, you have active voice and you have passive voice. In the active voice, the subject performs the action of the verb, while in the passive voice, the subject receives the action. Let me demonstrate it like this. The dog scratched Matt. The dog scratched Matt. Active. The dog, or Matt was, Matt was scratched by the dog. Passive. See, one's more active, and we're encouraged. If you're, if, you're, if you're a writer, you're encouraged. Whenever you can, write in the active voice. It just sounds better. It's more convincing. The dog scratched him. The dog bit him. That's more forceful than he was bitten by the dog. When the passive voice is used and God is the stated or implied agent, that is called the divine passive. That's what's taking place here. The mood, the mood of the verb. The mood is determined by the inflection of the verb. Um, There are three moods. Maybe you know these, maybe you don't. There's the indicative mood. That is the one that is the most common. That expresses statements or beliefs. He is the best football player on the team. It's the indicative mood. There's the imperative mood. It's used to express commands or requests. The subject of the verb always in the second person with the imperative. Stop hitting your brother. Clean your bathroom. Things parents have never said. There's the subjunctive mood. The subjunctive mood is used in dependent clauses. Um, when such clauses are, are talking about hypothetical situations or conditions which are unlikely or they're contrary to fact and reality, uh, these clauses usually begin with if or, or as if or though. Verbs in the subjunctive mood only take place in the third person plural form. This will be on the pop quiz later. Subjunctive mood often is seen in requests, wishes, or suggestions. If I were you, I would clean my bathroom. The facilities team requests that everyone pick up their trash. Subjunctive. That's the mood. So this word that we're looking at, that Paul writes in the Greek, pleirauste, it is present, passive, imperative, plural, in the second person, okay? Present, passive, imperative, plural verb in the second person. Why does that matter? Okay, it's imperative. It's a command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You are commanded, Christian, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, This is not, I don't think this is Paul saying it would be a good idea or you guys really ought to consider being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. This is a command of God. What that means for you and I, believer, is to not be filled with the Holy Spirit when we've been commanded by God to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It would be sin in our lives if we went through our lives not being filled with the Holy Spirit. We are commanded to be filled. It's plural. It's interesting. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's plural. Why? Because he's not just talking to one person. Who's he talking to? He's talking to all believers everywhere and all time. He's talking to the church. He's talking to Central Baptist Church. He's not just talking to you sitting in your pew or you sitting at home in your living room right now. He's talking to the whole worldwide church. You guys, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. It's imperative. It's plural. It's all for all of us. But it's passive. It's passive. Now, 
What does that mean? It means you can't fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. It's something that has to be done in your life. It's something that someone else has to do to you. You are not doing the action here. Someone is doing the action for you, to you. So here it is, gang. Uh, you do not fill yourself with the Holy Spirit, but you are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're commanded to do something that you cannot do in and of yourself. What in the world, why in the world would God do that? Because we recognize that God's desire Heaven's desire is that you would be filled with his spirit. He's commanded something that is impossible for you to do in and of yourself, but it's not impossible. Because God doesn't command us to do what can't be done. He commands us to do what can only be done by someone else. So what he's saying is, just like a person going under the water that is at the mercy of who's dunking them, Put yourself at the mercy of your Father in heaven and let him fill you with his spirit. It's passive, but it's a command. It's, it's possible for you. Be encouraged, believer. Be encouraged. Beloved, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The only result of him being in us. And look. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift of himself. The gift is always himself. When God gives something, he always gives his presence. So last grammatical point. It is in the present tense. We're commanded to allow ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God right now. Not just at salvation, but now and in the next moment and tomorrow morning. Allow yourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's not done. Be filled with the Spirit, not, not, not then, now. Not, oh, I was one time, and I got over it, I had enough. No, now. And every now, from now until we see Him. So why should we desire the filling of this Holy Spirit? Why should we desire to be filled up with the Spirit of God? And we should desire to be filled up with the Spirit of God so that we will experience deep joy and true victory in our lives because there is no true victory or deep joy without the Holy Spirit in your life. It's impossible to experience true, deep, and lasting joy in your life if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, then there can be no victory over sin. And, and can I just share with you that what lack of joy and, and lack of victory in a person's life oftentimes looks like? I don't mean this to be an indictment on anybody, but lack of joy and a lack of victory often shows up as exhaustion because you're trying so hard to do the right thing, to be a good Christian, but you keep failing. And failure time and time again makes a person tired. All the striving, all the trying could be a result could be, listen to me, could be a result of not being filled with the Holy Spirit. You want joy? You want victory over sin in your life? It only comes about one way, the Spirit of God filling you up. And here's how the first century believers would have heard this when Paul wrote it. 
And we don't talk this way. This this doesn't make for good, proper English. He says, be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The question is not, now watch me, the question is not, do I have all of the Holy Spirit? That's not the question. It's the way we sometimes look at it. And sometimes we'll sing songs where pray prayers, like we want more of you. We want more of you. You can't have more of him. You, You have all of him. He is not holding back on you, beloved. It's not a question of, do I get more of him? The question is, does he get more of me? Does he have all of me? If you're saying here, but I feel lack in my life, it's not because God's holding out on you. Grace demands that God pours himself out extravagantly on your life. You have his son. You have salvation because of the cross. What would God hold back from you? Nothing. So sometimes the lack that we feel is because he does not have all of us. It's because there's parts of our life that we've not surrendered to him. He's already given it all. All, You remember the song? I surrender all. Do you remember the song? All right. So the the old hymn... there's a third verse. Nobody ever sings the third verse of any song. Um, uh, we'll do the first, second, and final stanza, right? Vernon, you said that a time or two. First, second, and last verse. But here's the third verse. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit. Truly know that thou art mine. Well, how do we feel the Holy Spirit when we've, we've surrendered all of ourselves to him? And what great doctrine this song, I mean, contains. So, all to Jesus, I surrender. Make me Savior. Make me yours. Make me wholly yours. And let me feel your Holy Spirit. Sometimes we just need the encouragement of feeling the Spirit of God. He's there. Sometimes we need the encouragement of feeling him to truly know that you're mine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit. You've already got him all. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have all of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in you. Remember, he's a person. He doesn't just give part of himself to you. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't, you don't. There's no partial. Either you do or or, or you don't. You're either possessed by the Holy Spirit or you're not. Possession is a strange word when spoken in spiritual terms. But I want you to notice something with me about spirit possession really quickly. Matthew chapter 17, I'll read this to you. It says, and when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, came up to Jesus, kneeling before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. You remember this story? For he has seizures and suffers terribly. Here's what he does. For often he falls into the fire and often into water. And I brought him to your disciples And they couldn't heal him. They couldn't do it. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. There was a boy. He's possessed by a demon. And because he was possessed by a demon, he acted a certain way. This is the same thing that Paul sort of talked about with being drunk. You act a certain way when something possesses you and controls you. He was possessed by a demon, so he acted in this this way. And Paul says to us, remember, don't be consumed to the point that something consumes you. Don't allow something to possess you, but rather be filled and possessed by the Holy Spirit. Dear ones, what is it that you are allowing to possess your life? 
right now. Because here's what the Lord would say to you, I believe. Here's what the Holy Spirit would say to you. Are you possessed by anger? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you possessed by lust? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you possessed by self-centeredness and greed? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you possessed by resentment? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you possessed by shame? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you possessed by fear? Believer, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you possessed by worry? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are, are you possessed by social media? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you possessed by Fox News? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you possessed by CNN? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are, are, are you possessed by the stock market or your 401k? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are, are, are you possessed by your sports team? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you possessed by your boat or your RV? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you possessed by political leaders? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be controlled not by any of these things. Be controlled by him. Be controlled by him. Be filled with him. The problem that we often have is that even as followers of Jesus who have made the once-for-all decision, we've put our stake in the ground and trusted in him alone for salvation, the problem is you and I wake up every single day and we have a choice. Isn't that the problem for you? And that's the problem for me. Because yesterday's choice doesn't necessarily apply to today. Like I have to wake up and choose all over again. I have to choose for today. I have to choose for this moment. Right? If I'm not seeing his desires lift out in my life, I have to choose. And now, for the last three to five minutes, I want to give you the practical part. Because all of this is a great theology lesson. And oh, great, he had some bowls with some water in them. And we can talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit. We can talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. But if we don't walk away with some practical keys to how today I can be filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure how terribly helpful this would be for any of us. So I'm going to give you five keys because it would be really quick. Number one, confess everything. John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Dear ones, it starts with confessing all, every known sin in our life. You confess it before the Lord and ask his forgiveness. So, number one, confess it all. Lord, what, what do I have? What, what's there that doesn't belong? Like, what, what have I allowed in my life? What attitude, what word, what, what other love, what possession, what control have I allowed? Number two, give everything. Romans 12, 1 to 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the very mercies of God, to present, to give your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. We've confessed it all. We confess everything. Now give everything. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. We, we give it all. Confess it all. I give it all. I'm yours. Holy Spirit, I am yours. What does that mean? I want to be possessed by you. 
I want to be your possession. I want to be under your control. I give everything in my life to you. I'm your vessel. I'm totally yours. I'm totally available to you and your purposes in this world. Number three, ask for everything. Ask God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we've read it. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So ask God, will you fill me fresh today? Ask and don't hold back. Like the number one thing that you need, the number one thing I need as a pastor, as a parent, as a husband, it's not another how-to book. It's not another podcast. It's not, it's not another YouTube channel. What I need more than anything is the filling of the Spirit of God in my life. Every moment, every day. So ask. Number four, give thanks for everything. Colossians 3, 15 to 17, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What do we give? We give thanks. What do we bring to the table? Our thanks. What does he bring to the table? Everything. And we just show up and eat the meal and say thank you. So thank him. Have a heart of gratitude. And we say thank you because we believe that God provides. Number five, we'll end with this. And I believe this is so key in your life and in my life. Expect everything. Ephesians 5, 19 to 21, he follows up with these remaining verses in our passage. Remember verse 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This flows out of that, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything for, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What should you expect when you pray? What should you expect when you pray prayers that God commands you to pray? What should we expect when we pray prayers that we know align with the heart of God? We should expect he hears us. We should expect that he wants to answer that prayer. But too often, we, here's what we do. We have made prayer a part of our life over here, unattached to the rest of our life. So I got, maybe you've got a prayer list. I encourage you to have a prayer list. But don't leave it there. The prayer you pray in the morning, expect God to answer it. That's called faith. And we ask him to fill us with the Holy Spirit when you get up from being on your knees before the Lord and you go out to face the day. Guess what you should expect indwells you? You should expect him living in you. And so when you open your mouth to speak to your children, to speak to your spouse, what should you expect? You should expect to speak as one who is possessed by the Spirit of God. 
We just don't expect God to work through us, do we? We're expecting to be over here as a part of our spiritual life, part of our church life, part of our quiet time, a part of our Sunday life. But he's saying, I want to fill you up so that I flow out of everything you do, everything you touch, every word you say. Expect it all when you pray. Ask, what would your family look like? If the Holy Spirit controlled the words that came from your mouth, the way you interacted with your children, in discipline, in encouragement, what would meals look like if the Holy Spirit was in charge at the table? What would your office look like if the Holy Spirit was in charge of what you do and say where you are? How would your parenting be different? How would our community be different? How would Central Baptist Church look different if it was full of people, of everyone? Every time we gathered and every time we scattered, we went out as people who were indwelled, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Not just baptized in the Holy Spirit, not just having salvation, but going out controlled by His agenda. Controlled by His heart. For each other, for our community, for the nations. Be being continually filled with the Spirit of God because He is His best for you. He is what's best for me. He is best for us, beloved, and He wants to fill you even today. Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, it is in the name of your Son, Jesus, that we come before you this morning, and there are many of us in the room, I believe, God, who are possessed by anger, we're possessed by lust, or we're possessed by greed, or resentment, fear, worry, anxiety, shame, hurt, our own self-interest, political leaders, cable news. We've allowed other things to possess us and control us. But what we desperately need is to be men and women who are filled up with you every single day. And so, Lord, may we be a people who are that people. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if there's a person in the room this morning that say, I can't be filled because I've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've not received salvation. Then listen, brother or sister, today is the day for you. I've got good news. Like I said earlier to everyone in the room, God's not holding back on you. He will gift you himself even today. I just encourage you. If you've got business to do with God, if you, if, you need to, if you need to come forward, there's a decision you need to make that you need someone to pray with you about. We're here for that. If you just need to get on your face before the Lord and repent of some things, this time is for you. Whatever decision God is leading you to do, I just ask you to be faithful to that. And know that there are people here that love you and will pray with you. Lord, we love you. We bless your name. Thank you for your word, which has taught us richly today. It's in your good name we pray. And God's people said together, man, we stand as we